Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. I want to share just for a few moments from a passage uh, from one of the historical books or annals of the Old Testament. I want us to turn to 2 Chronicles 20 and 15. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. King James Version. And I'm going to trust you after you hear this message to read the entire 20th chapter. And if you're really ambitious, you can read chapters 17 through 21 that provides all of the historical and biographical context for what we're going to share with you today. It reads that he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. And thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Amen. I'm a going to preach from this passage. I want to lift up the thought. You can sit this one out. <laughs> you can sit this one out. Second Chronicles is one of a number of historical books in the Old Testament. Old Testament, we have a series of historical records, Second Chronicles, Kings, Judges, Joshua, so many of those books, Ruth, Nehemiah, Esther. In the New Testament, we only have the one historical record, and that's Acts. This passage focuses on one of the titular, uh, remarkable characters in the Old Testament, one of the good kings. When you're reading Chronicles and Kings, you can categorize your reading and inflection around good kings and bad. Uh, king David was the epitome of the good king. King Ahab on the northern kingdom was the epitome of the wicked and idolatrous king. Jehoshaphat, whose name means when God judges, succeeded to the throne of Judah in the ninth century 
B.C. He was 35 years old when his father passed away and he became king and he reigned for 25 years. Jehoshaphat, this good king, was noted for his prosperity and his piety. One of the things that he did, he was committed to do, he did not complete the task, but he sought to remove the idolatrous altars, the high places in Judah. Jehoshaphat was committed to Christian or to biblical education because he empowered certain of the Levites to visit cities and towns to teach the people the word of God and those principles that constituted true morality and religion. The Bible says of Jehoshaphat that his heart was lifted up. His heart was lifted up to the ways of the Lord. Yet to his detriment and his disadvantage, one thing that he did was he sought and often entered alliances with the kings of the north, the northern tribes or Israel, Ahab most particularly. And because of these alliances, he found himself often in difficulty. But he seemed to have got that right. And so uh, if you're reading this narrative in those chapters that I gave you, where we are in this particular chapter is that he has experienced a significant stretch or period of prosperity and blessing. And then out of nowhere, it's kind of like the two o'clock in the morning phone call that I tell you about. Out of nowhere, he faces his ultimate test. And in the midst of this test that stressed him and stretched him, God speaks to his heart and says to him, the battle is not yours, but it is the Lord's. In other words, I'm kind of paraphrasing it in my title today, is that you can sit this one out. <laughs> Anybody ever experienced that? You struggling with something, the Lord shows up and says, you don't have to worry about it. So you don't have to worry about it. I got this. You can sit this one out. Look at your neighbor and say, you can sit this one out. Now, now that being said, uh, in, in this passage, that, that moves to this pivotal affirmation from God. This pivotal validation from God that, that, that the goodness and mercy of God is going to take care of Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah. In these most difficult and dire of circumstances, there are full movements in this passage. You all want to know what they are. First of all, there is his precarious predicament. 
his precarious predicament. This, this was a test that Jehoshaphat, in light of just recent experience, this was a test that he did not see coming. Everything was, was good. I mean, uh, the reforms, the uh, progressive agenda that he had set in motion for, for some 20 years, uh, those things were being fulfilled. And out of nowhere, <laughs> this problem emerged. So you can be uh, riding along. Everything is good. Kids used to say when they were growing up, everything is hunkadory. Everything is, is kosher. And then all of a sudden, you have to hit your brakes. You have to hit your brakes. And sometimes, because we get so comfortable, when, when this happens, it, it throws so many of us off balance. So, so many of us, under these circumstances, lose our spiritual bearings. In fact, as a pastor sometime, I have found folk who have been hit blindsided by this kind of situation. I find them asking questions and even questioning their faith. I prayed with someone just a few days ago, a colleague, a friend, who was going through a difficult time and and they said, Pastor T.D., I, I just sometimes I think the Lord has forgotten about me. See, we get comfortable and, and sometimes what God does is pull the hedge back. <laughs> he pulls the hedge back because we, he wants us under testing to learn more about how he deals with us. And how he keeps his word. At the beginning of the Civil War, that terrible, tumultuous conflict that rocked our nation, about 35 miles southwest of Washington, D.C., on the major thoroughfare that led from Washington, D.C., the capital of the United States and to Richmond some hundred miles away, which the capital of the Confederate States. Some 35 miles southwest of Washington, D.C., the first major battle of the Civil War took place. This awful conundrum and conflict that consummated or culminated in over 660,000 casualties. More, I don't know if you know this, more than all the other wars our country has fought combined. You, you would think that that depth, that level of bloodshed would have exercised from us the demon of racism. But some 35 miles southwest of Washington, D.C., on the road that leads to Richmond, there is the town of Manassas. And there, on a warm July day in 1861, the first battle took place. 
And this battle, this is the significance of first Manassas, if you were a Union soldier, or first Boron, if you were a Confederate soldier. This is the significance of this battle. The general perception was, when this division took place, that the war would only last 90 days. And that there would be very little loss of human life. In fact, the Congress of the United States did not even declare war. President Lincoln, in an executive order, called forward 75,000 militia. But all of this changed after Manassas. After 10,000 casualties on that battlefield. And just recently, I had the opportunity to walk and to experience some of the key parts of this battlefield that is now a national park that is on 5,000 sprawling acres. But after Manassas, both sides knew this was going to go on for a long time. Some, sometimes this is the way we are. We, we're slipping and sliding along, saying this is going to go away, and then we're hit. King Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah was facing a superior force of Moabites, Ammonites, and Syrites. They were facing overwhelming odds. And what makes this predicament even more precarious is that these were not new enemies. <laughs> these were not new enemies. They were old or ancient enemies historic adversaries, past problems that had come back to haunt them. See, see, what I love about this passage, and, and when I was reading it and rereading it and reflecting upon it, it, it lets me know, and I want you all to hear something. See, we all are going to get in a fight sooner or later. Somebody's in a fight right now. Now, now, don't just think military conquest or military uh, uh, fighting. Uh, like, oh, you can have a financial fight. You, you can have a relational fight. You, you can have something going on in terms of a physical condition. But sooner or later, you and I have to deal with a fight. And, and when you appreciate what God tells Jehoshaphat in this passage, that the battle is not yours, but it's mine's. And you can sit this one out. See, one of the things we have to understand when we're facing our problems is that the question of how, the question of why, the question of what, the question of where, all those questions are important. But sometimes the most important question is when. And I want to help somebody here this morning because, see, some of us mess stuff up. Because we start meddling with it. We try to fix it. We try to work it out. And God said, if you just wait a long, you wait a little while. If you just trust me, if you don't get, get in this mess right now, you can sit this one out. As a pastor, over the years I've learned some stuff would just go away if you leave it alone. Some, some stuff, if you just, when it hits you, you just pull the spiritual gear shift of your plane back and fly up to an altitude 
where that mess will die of oxygen deprivation. We picking at it, trying to fix it, straighten it out, and if we just leave it alone, we can sit it out. <laughs> Do I have a witness here? So, so the first point is reminding us that sooner or later, we will find ourselves in life in situations that are unmanageable, untenable, intractable, impossible. Y'all get it, y'all. Oh, I need to give you any more adjectives. Overwhelming, and the odds are stacked against you, and there is no way out. There's no way out. That's where Jehoshaphat was in the nation of Judah, a precarious predicament. Here's the second thing. There is not only his precarious predicament, but his passionate prayer. See, see, some, someone said that desperation is the mother of invention. See, see, these circumstances moved him to, and the nation to the point of desperation. We have, we have in this passage, Jehoshaphat's passionate prayer. And listen to what it says in verse 3b. Uh, the Bible says in this chapter, he set himself, faced with this problem, faced with this precarious predicament, he set himself to seek the Lord. In other words, he prayed. <laughs> he didn't declare a national emergency anticipating what Jesus would say a few centuries later, he, de he declared a national fast. And he sent messengers throughout the realm. He said, y'all start praying. And don't just pray, you pray and fast. Because there's some stuff we run up against. You can't just pray. You got to pray and fast. Lord, I can't handle this one. So he prayed. Listen to what he said in, in verse 12. He says, oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power. To, listen, we have no power. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Anybody ever been there? Don't know what to do. But our eyes, it's on you. His prayer was passionate. His petition was compelling. He prayed passionately because everything depended on it. Wasn't trying to impress nobody. Wasn't worried about how unkingly he might look. He knew what was at stake. But here's the point I want you to realize, because some of us, this is where we trip up. And this, this is why sometimes we get involved in stuff where if we knew God's word, we could just set it out. His prayer was not only passionate, but it was principled. 
When you read this prayer, and if you have a good study Bible, it will give you cross-references because all he was doing, hear me clearly this morning, all he was doing was praying the scriptures. He wasn't trying to come up with no new stuff. He wasn't pulling anything out of USA Today. He wasn't quoting nothing from the Wall Street Journal or Times. He was praying the word of God. He prayed. He prayed the promises, you know, as if God needs reminding. All he did when he prays is reminded God of what God had already promised him. That's all we have to do. We, we try and figure it out what God's going to do. He's already told you what he's going to do. So you just pull the covenant out. You pull the contract out and you read the provisions back to the Lord who keeps his word. Got to have it in here. When, when you really want to see the Lord fight your battle, and sit it out, you got to know his word. And I can sit it out. See, praying the word of God will give you a clarity. Thursday, in the revival I was preaching in Virginia, I'd had a long day and there had been a number of distractions. Did not have the opportunity to spend all the time studying and praying that I like to do under ideal condition. Pastor dropped me off at the hotel. I was dealing with some crises here. Families who were experiencing loss had been in touch with some of those families. And I was feeling a lot of ambivalence in my spirit. Deacons from the church took turns picking me up. And I was on my way out of my room to the elevator. <laughs> And uh, another hotel guest was on the same floor on the way to the elevator. Got inside the elevator. And this other guest said to me, so you look real nice. So you dressed up. Where are you going? I said, I'm going to revival service over Chantilly Baptist Church. They say, you really? I said, I am. I said, actually, I'm not just going. I'm the preacher. <laughs> she said, you the preacher? I said, I'm not surprised. So we get to the first floor. And we get off the elevator. And this guest said, hold it. Before you go, can I pray for you? Lord, have mercy. And she put her hand Later found out she was a member of the church where Gary Chapman is an associate pastor who wrote the five love languages. She puts her hand on my shoulder and she prays with an anointing that I could feel. It, it, it was like a chill. And here's the point. Here's the point I want you to know that this is why you can sit one out. She prayed with a clarity. Everything I was feeling in my spirit, everything that was distracting me as I was preparing to preach that night, that sister hit first, second, third base and home plate. And I said to her, I said, You are my angel. 
the Bible says that we entertain angels. Angels are the world. Oh, Lord. I ain't got time to finish this today. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you can sit it out when you turn it over to the Lord. She read everything inside my spirit. And it gave me, listen, his powerful protector. Y'all write that down. I'm just going to give you that. You read the text by yourself. Fill it in. If somebody wants to really know, if you can't figure it out, what his powerful protector is, uh, I'll just say it this way. God's a fixer. But, but, but what I was going to tell you in that passage is the fight is fixed. You, 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 you can sit it out because the fight, y'all said the fight, is fixed. Now, now in gambling circles are according to legal jurisdictions, that might be a bad thing, but spiritually, it's a good thing. Because the fight is fixed, you know God's got your back. When the fight is fixed, you can be a David and say, the Lord is my shepherd. When the fight is fixed, you can be a Paul in prison and say, my God shall supply. When the fight is fixed, you can say, it may not come when I want him, but uh, he's always on time. When the fight is fixed, you can say, nothing can separate us from the love of God, uh, which is in Christ Jesus. Neither death, nor life, uh, angels or principalities, uh, things present or things to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. When the fight is fixed, uh, you can say all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. When the fight is fixed, uh, you can say amazing grace, uh, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me uh, through many dangerous stars and snares. I've already come. It was grace. It was grace brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me on. Any witnesses in here? Any witnesses in here? Is he able? 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 Yeah! Yeah! Oh! Hey, hey. Look at your neighbor. Say the fight is fixed. Now, oh Lord, I don't know what you're battling, but you can sit this one out. You can sit it out because early, 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 early Sunday morning, he got up. Now, I just got to tell you this. Y'all saw the precarious predicament? You saw the passionate prayer? You see the powerful protector? He's a fixer. Some folk are fixed up and get you put in jail. 
But Jesus, he can work it out. But here's why I love Jehoshaphat. I want to help us because this is what ought to happen on Sunday morning. Now, he sit out the war, but he didn't sit out the worship. Even though God told him, you don't have to fight in this battle. I've got it. You can sit it out. Jehoshaphat sent forth an order, asked all the militia to come to the battlefield. He sent out an order, not just to the militia, but to the Levites, to the music and fine arts ministry. He said, we've got a battle going on, but the Lord told us we need to sit it out, but we're not going to stay at home because God's been too good. So the militia was called forward, but what Jehoshaphat did the cavalry was not in front. The artillery was not in front. The infantry was not in front. He put the praise team. He put the choir. He put the fine arts ministry up in the front. He said, we gonna get a place. We gonna get a place. We gonna get a position where we can watch God fight. And on that hill, they were praising God as God turned the Ammonites against the Moabites and the Syrites against the Ammonites. See, God don't have to do nothing but confuse your enemy, confuse your cancer, confuse your bank account, confuse your employer, and all you got to do, even though you ain't in the fight, when you get here on Sunday, get on your feet, get on your feet and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. 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 You ain't in the fight, but you can say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, man. Yeah. Hey. Work it out. Woke me up. Started me. He's good. He's got it. Turn it over. Just praise him. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.